Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody again. Some of you have been uh, so bad in your church attendance this summer, you didn't even know I was gone, but I'm back. <laughs> and uh, it's, been, it's been great. It's good to be back home uh, in Maryland. I love being part of a church that values um, telling people to, to take the time necessary. To, sometimes you just need to step away, to think, to plan, to pray, to play, to uh, recoil a little bit. That was our goal. We did that. We did it with some of our favorite people uh, in the world, uh, my family and my extended family uh, at our favorite place on the planet, which is uh, northern Minnesota. A lot of you know about that place. It's a cabin on a lake that I'm a, my kids are the fourth generation heading there every summer and been there every summer of my life. And it's just a life-giving, refreshing place for us to be and uh, spent some time there. And the idea was to read and rest and recreate and reflect and come back recharged and recoiled and I'm ready, so let's go. Um, I think it's gonna, this, this series, Crazy Eights, has been awesome. Aren't we blessed with amazing communicators on this team at Mountain? I am so happy at what's happened so far and excited now about the next couple of uh, installments of this as we wrap up a really important uh, uh, series and then really jazzed about what's going to happen in September and October. If you're new to Mountain, just, you're coming in at a great time. Uh, you're going to, I think, really enjoy and find very important for your life some of the stuff we have planned uh, coming up in the, in the weeks that follow. So uh, I, let me start out by just making a kind of confession to you. There's something about a well-worded, perfectly timed insult that I find very satisfying. <laughs> Anybody with me on that a little bit? You know, have you heard about the um, well-documented uh, uh, sort of disagreeable relationship between Lady Astor and Winston Churchill? Do you know about this? So like, here, uh, check, check this slide out here, kind of describe some of what was going on. She says to him, if I was your wife, I would poison your coffee. That's a pretty good zinger right there. But then he comes back with, if I was your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> And now there's a, there's a party that just wants to go, hoo-hoo, that was, that was beautiful, you know? Something about it that's just kind of nice. It's like, ooh. One time she says to him, Churchill, you are disgustingly drunk. He's at a dinner party or something like that. And he retorts to her, Lady Astor, you are disgustingly ugly. But tomorrow morning I'll be sober. <laughs> so... And there's a party that's like, oh, ooh, and everyone in the room goes, ooh, got her. You know, so there's something happy about that, you know, for some reason. Um, nothing good's going to come of it, but it still feels good. And it's not just famous people or other people. It's all of us, isn't it, really? I mean, there's, all of us find ourselves sometimes getting drawn into the battle where something annoys you, something irks you, something lights your fire, sets you off, offends you, and we step into some fragile territory and we make it worse because sometimes it just feels so good or so right and maybe there's even someone around us going, ooh, good one, you got her. This woman's sitting with her husband at uh, his high school reunion and he, she notices that her husband keeps staring at this other woman. She's sitting at a table, she's clearly drunk and swigging her drink, sitting all by herself. She says to her husband, do you know that woman? And he says, well, yes, I do. Uh, that's my old girlfriend. And from what I understand, as soon as we broke up, she took to drinking. She's never been sober since. And right away, his wife replied, Oh, well, my goodness, you wouldn't think a person could go on celebrating that long, would you? <laughs> now, that, that's when the fight started. See, that, 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 didn't, that didn't help anything, right? That didn't help anything. The next day, she, of course, doesn't remember anything about that. 
And uh, he's still a little miffed about it. So she starts sidling up to him all sweetly, telling him a little bit about what she wants for her upcoming birthday. She says, you know what I would really like? You know what would be nice? I want something shiny that goes from 0 to 180 in about three seconds. So he bought her a bathroom scale. <laughs> so the fight got worse, you see. So Now we laugh, but it kind of feels good. You kind of are impressed with the guy, you know. We love sometimes to get back at even bust someone's chops. How many of you experience some conflict from time to time? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, wait. Some of you don't understand. Let me rephrase. How many of you are people? Okay. How many of you had parents? Okay, good. So how many of you have ever been out of the house? Okay, so now, now maybe we've got more hands up. Because the truth is, all of us know what it's like to experience some conflict, right? Interpersonal, in our relationships, uh, but also globally, spin the globe, put your finger down anywhere you want, and there's trouble and strife there. Isn't that right? Everywhere from bedrooms to boardrooms, we got conflict. What really lights your fire? What chaps your buns? What gets you all fired up? What gets the smoke coming out of your ears? Think about it. You know what it is. There's probably a hundred things. That's not really that interesting because everybody has that stuff. Here's what's important. How do you respond? How do you respond? What happens to the people around you and the room you're in and the world we live in because of how you respond to the conflict? Conflict's uninteresting. It happens to everybody. But how you respond, now that's something we got some control over. Studies show there's a couple of basic responses to uh, conflict situations when they arise. Um, the first group of people, uh, they kind of call the avoiders. Go ahead and raise your hand if you're an avoider. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand, it might be trouble. But avoiders are in the fight or flight responses. These are the flight people. They run. There's a voice screaming inside their head whenever there's the prospect of tension or conflict. A voice screams to them, run away! And they do. And sometimes it's because of personality trait. Often it can be because of pain in your past. Where, for example, if you grew up in a home that was chaotic with abuse or addiction and you were maybe young as a child and trying to hold things together and patching things up and running around kind of trying to be the adult before it was your turn, you still maybe find yourself in situations where when conflict arises, you're still like kind of putting everything together and making sure everyone's okay and kind of denying the fact that there's really a problem. Come on, people, lighten up. We're all friends. Come in together. Hug it out. There's no issue here. Let's eat a Twinkie. Be done with this. Avoiders hate conflict so much, they, have, they, they, they pretend it's not there sometimes. They, they learn to not talk about things, and people around them learn to not talk about things. And when, you, when you'd rather live without honesty than live with conflict, the conflict doesn't go away. It just goes underground. And then it kind of boils and festers like a pregnant volcano ready to burst out, and it will someday, some way. That's the first group. is kind of avoiders. And then there's the second group, and they're the attackers. Okay? We all know who the attackers are. Go ahead and point to one. Yeah, or maybe if you're pointing to one, you are one, I don't know. The attackers in the fight-or-flight world, they're the fight people. Their voice inside their head says, bring it, or I'm going to go get it. They're not runners, they're rumblers. Someone says, excuse me, I wasn't finished, and they say, what? You're telling me I'm interrupting you? What about that time six months ago when I was trying to tell the penguin story to the, to the Donaldsons and you interrupted me? You never, you never said you're sorry for that. And by the way, I hate those shorts you're wearing and I knew you never loved me. 
All of a sudden, we've got something. That's an attacker. A lot of us tend to kind of favor one or the other. Me, I like to keep it interesting and kind of oscillate, just keep my family guessing. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, um, Jesus talks about this awesome, weird third way. A crazy eight way. A way of living, a way of thinking, a way of behaving, a way of learning to feel, and then choosing to respond. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble. That's conflict. That's, that's just part of it. You're going to have that. Avoiders, you can't avoid it. Attackers, that doesn't get you anywhere. There's a better way. When you've got conflict and everything in you is saying, rise up, defend, attack, protest. You've been uh, unjustly treated. Jesus says there's this crazy upside down way in the midst of this crazy eight list of these countercultural, counterintuitive ways of acting and living and breathing and, and acting in this world. He says, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers. It's a third way, not runners or rumblers, not a, avoiders and attackers, peacemakers. And, and, and blessed, he said. Blessed, remember we've been talking about this, and if you've been around, blessed or blessed, it means happy, fulfilled, contented. You'll have the best kind of life that you really want when instead of running away or kind of attacking, we learn to be peacemakers. When you learn to live for peace, when you learn to ache for peace, when you begin to work for peace, speak for peace, act for peace, be a peacemaker in this particular moment, in this particular living room, in this particular car in which you're riding with other people, in this boardroom, in this conversation, in this county, in this state, in this nation, in this world, be a peacemaker and you will find yourself in the midst of a war-torn world, in the midst of your conflict-filled marriage, in the midst of your fight-filled family in the midst of a backbiting workplace, you will find yourself crazy. That's what a child of God looks like. You want to be a child of God? You want to look like God? Be a peacemaker. It turns out you'll be, you'll be blessed in the process. Put your life energy to good use. Put the, the force that God has given you to, to exert in this conflict-filled world into peace. Now, that word peace is loaded in it. You know, um, in, the, in the Older Testament of the Bible, it's written in Hebrew, and that word for peace is shalom. Want to say it? Shalom. It's that Hebrew, we think of it as like howdy or something. It doesn't mean, hey, it's, it's a big, it's more than a greeting. Shalom, the peace of God, shalom is this monstrous, beautiful concept of deep-seated contentedness when all is well with the world. When my cup is full and my joy is high, when I know I'm okay in my own skin, when I have unity and I'm not running from God, I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling close to God, I'm, I'm close and connected to other people, the whole world is running as it should. You have wholeness, you have peace, you have salvation. That's shalom. A child finally running, instead of fighting, running into daddy's lap and he just holds and says, ah, it's all is well. That moment is the shalom moment. And that's how everything started in the beginning when God created. He created this ideal, idyllic, Edenic thing called creation. 
And it all operated by the shalom, peace principles of God. Because God had made it all, it was all working right. God's ways infused the whole thing like a, like a big computer with an operating system called shalom. With no glitches and everything synced up and worked smoothly. It was great until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. <laughs> this bug got in the system. A virus infected the whole doggone thing. And now it's all haywire. Nothing goes well. And in the world in which we live, we get these pop-ups and these spam messages that don't even speak the truth. And the whole, the whole system is in jeopardy and threatening to erase the memory of God's good intentions of shalom. That computer virus you know is called sin and we're all part of it and it's infected in each one of us and it messes with everything and we can't even sometimes find shalom and we can't find peace. That's why our whole life people are running all over the place trying to find peace and so they go after all kinds of stuff. Most of our lives are defined by our quest for shalom, for peace, for contentedness, for happiness, for being full and joy-filled and the Bible actually says that even the earth itself is groaning, waiting for something better to happen relationships are messed up with God and other people and it's all it breaks God's heart it's not God's way and so the whole history of the Bible is the story of God saying okay I can't take this anymore I'm getting involved I'm going to do something about it and he tries to so he tries to say how can we restore this whole deal back and how can we fix this messed up computer called the planet and, and so he he, he brings, he calls out a people and says, you're going to be my special little shalom people to show what it looks like, but you won't know how to do it by yourself. I'll give you my word. I'll give you, I'll give you prophets and priests and leaders and you live according to the way that I, I lay out for you and you'll experience it. And, and they do for little short periods, but most of the time not. And I pretty much just summarized the whole Old Testament. And then God does something incredible. Isaiah 9 tells about it. It says, one day... One day God's going to do something amazing. There's going to be this one who's going to come. He's going to be, he's going to be like a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father and a prince of... One day he's coming. The, prince of, the, the sort of peace bringers are going to show up. And then it happened. This baby was born on a not-so-silent night. God sent a live band in the sky. They were singing and shouting and the angels were yelling, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among all the people among whom God favor rests. Jesus, the peace bringer, arrived on the planet and everywhere he went, he brought peace. People, people around him were just like, wow, I just got shalomed when they were around Jesus. I mean, people, their, their lives were changed. They were stressed out and they found peace. They, they, they got kicked to the curb of life and they found peace. They were worried about their eternity and they found peace. Jesus embodied it. He lived it. He spoke of peace. He modeled peace. He himself was peace. And then he died so that not just the people in his lifetime, but that all people, including you and me, could have shalom re-enter our lives and have peace with God and each other because we were enemies with God, but through his death on the cross, we can be friends again. It's incredible. God's agenda is peace. Shalom, the highest and deepest levels. Let me, let me take you on a quick trip through, through some scriptures that just kind of echo this. Listen to this, listen to this. Sit up on the edge of your seat and listen to this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, listen to this. It says this, God reconciled everything back to himself. God said, it's busted, I'm going to bring it all back. And he, how did he do it? He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He debugged the computer through Jesus. And now he invites you to be part of the peace train. Get on the peace train. Choo-choo, here it goes. Jesus is, in, Jesus is up there in the front. Get on. In other words, 
He didn't just send Jesus to sort of diffuse some peace. He wants to have the peace planted in the hearts and lives of real people like you and me so we will be peace, not just receivers, but peace bringers, peace doers, peace makers. That's what he goes on to say then. After Colossians 1, we go on to Colossians 3. So let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we're called to live in peace. Somehow we're supposed to have an influence in this old corrupt, conflict-ridden world. Ephesians chapter 2, same thing. For Christ Himself has brought us peace. Planted shalom in our hearts. What are we going to do with it? You're part of the peace plan. Verse, chapter 4, verse 3. So therefore you make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with what? Peace. You know, when I was a little guy at home, sometimes I'd sass back to my mom. She'd say, don't you be a smart aleck. She would. She'd say, don't, she'd say, don't be a smart aleck. Because I thought I was smart. You ever used that? She heard that phrase? You think you're so smart. Because I, I had that little quip and that little insult or whatever. Don't you be smart. The Bible says there's a different way of being smart. The wisdom of God. Listen to James chapter 3. But the wisdom of God. You want to be really smart? Try the wisdom of God. And here's what it is. It's not the little sass. It is this. It's first of all pure. That's true wisdom. It's peace loving. I know it feels better sometimes to be sassy, but being gentle at all times and willing to yield to others, this is part of the real wisdom of God. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. Always sincere. Wow, that's challenging for a sarcastically gifted person like me. Second Corinthians thirteen eleven, Be joyful and grow to maturity. In other words, grow up, y'all. How? Encourage one another and live in harmony and peace. And it's not easy. Hebrews 12 says, get a work at it. Work at living in peace and harmony. And then these sweeping verses like Romans 12, 18, it says, do everything you all possibly can all the time, every day to everybody to try to live at peace. Wow. So how are you doing at being a peacemaker? As you think about your life, as you think about maybe the influence that you have, Are you acting like a child of God? Let's get, let's get personal. Let's get past some of our lame excuses about, oh, I'm, I'm just the way I am or whatever. Let's just get down. Let's just, can I kind of make some things practical for us here uh, today? Let's, let's, let's talk about a couple of basic truths here today. First of all, here's the first truth. First truth is this. Everybody's got two buckets. Okay? In one bucket is gasoline. Okay? And in the other bucket, water. All right? You with me so far? That's the first truth. Everybody's got two buckets. The person next to you, you do. Everyone's got two buckets. Okay? Second truth. Everywhere you go, there's a fire. Did I mention that in this bucket is gasoline? And in this bucket is water? Second truth, everywhere you go, there's a fire. There we go. <laughs> now, it might be a little fire. It might not be a big fire. It might be just a little ember. It might be a sort of campfire. It might be a sort of house of fire. It might be a forest fire. I don't know. But there's a fire. Every, every room you enter, 
every conversation you step into, every Facebook chat you become a part of, every counseling session you go to, every time you drive home, put your car in the garage and walk in the house, every time world leaders sit down to talk about world politics, there's always a fire. Different kinds, different shapes and sizes, but there's fire. And you've got two buckets, gas and water. Want to know the third truth? The third truth is simple. You probably know what it is. You get to decide. You get to decide which bucket you pour on the fire. You get to decide which bucket you pour on the fire. I probably don't need to tell you what happens if I take gas and pour it on the fire. What does it do? Yeah. Woof! Explosion! Going to mess all you up and all me up too. Yep. Red bucket feels so good at first, but it usually hurts us in the long run. Just like real fire, when we use the red bucket, it hurts people. It leaves ugly scars. It takes a long time to heal, just like real fire. It leaves the world an uglier place. Yeah. But Jesus says, blessed are the blue bucket people. What's the sound? Not oof. When I pour water on a fire, what's the sound? Blessed are the people who, who bring a sort of presence to the room. Blessed are the blue bucket people. We need more blue bucket people. Well, we all got two buckets. Some of you don't even remember you have a blue bucket. Some of you know you live with some people that's like, they just got one big five-gallon red bucket. That's all they got. And Jesus says, blessed are the blue bucket people. I love Proverbs 15, 12. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. It deflects answer. But, oh, harsh words, what do they do? Harsh words make tempers woof. So, little Gabe eats little Tori's favorite crayon. She's mad, punches him in the nose, tears his shirt. Mom comes running, they're fighting. In the process, she trips over the golf club. She's told her husband to move for three weeks. Stubs her toe that she already injured. Now she won't be able to run in the 5K she's been training for. She's so mad in that moment. She's mad at them and she's dragging these kids and he walks in the door from work. He's already upset because finances are tight. No one can mow the lawn because it's raining so much and he got rear-ended on the way home from work and he's a little frustrated. He walks in. Friends, guess what? There's a fire... And he got two buckets. That happens every day. That's really not that interesting. What's interesting? What's interesting is which bucket he'll use, right? And which bucket she'll use in return. Here's something else you may not have realized. There are endless supplies in each of our buckets. If you use all your red bucket in a big woof, guess what? You'd look down and there's more there. You can woof all day long. You've got enough in there. It's like a pump from Wawa. But the same is true of the blue bucket. You can, you can douse it and douse it and douse it and endless springs of living water come into your blue bucket. And that's in fact what the blessed life feels like is when you douse and douse and douse and through you begins to flow streams of living water. Not cursing water, but living, blessing water. That's what Jesus means when He says, you're blessed. So, which bucket is your default mode? When do you make excuses for yourself to say, well, now I'm justified because I'm actually tired today. So red bucket for you, buddy. 
Some people are great until they're on 95, and then it's like a red bucket driver or a certain person. Now, it's easy to say we're blue bucket people until it gets to something that we actually care about, right? Oh, and by the way, would you mind if I shared some of my opinions with you today? I try to preach God's Word, but I had so many revelations on my vacation. One of the things, for example, I'm a complete vegan vegetarian now. And by the way, if you're not a vegetarian, you're an idiot. I'm telling you, if you ever eat meat anymore, you're just a fool. Come talk to me afterwards if you want to, but I'm serious. I've researched this. You're an absolute idiot if you're not a vegetarian. How many of you are idiots? Yeah, that's what I thought. You're just so stupid. And you know what else, by the way? Being away brought something really clear to my line, and that is that the Orioles as an organization just suck. They just are terrible. The only thing worse I can think of is the Ravens. The only thing good about them is their color. Which bucket are you reaching for now? See, when it starts to matter, now it's like, okay, well, yeah, let's be peacemakers. Yes, let's hand out dandelions at the county fair. No, 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 no. When stuff starts to matter, then we start reaching for the bucket. Some of you need to get riled up a little bit more often, but some of you are riled up all the time. You know, here, can I give you another opinion? You know what we need to do, people? We need to get the government more involved in our lives. We need the government helping us with the problems we've got. If they wouldn't just sit by and get more involved, more policies and more taxes is what we need. So, um, what, what do you think about Planned Parenthood, by the way? Huh? Are, are, are they upholding important rights or are they committing terrible wrongs? Are, are, are they helping women or are they harvesting human body parts? Which bucket are you reaching for now, huh? What about Caitlyn Jenner? Let's just go there. This has got real. All right? Huh? Is she uh, um, a brave hero? Is she a confused celebrity? Is someone you have anger toward or compassion toward? What do you think? Let's have a good discussion about it. How about the Supreme Court ruling? Who's for it? Who's against it? Let's get our buckets out. Let's take a vote. Let's take sides. All the people over here on this side and all the people over here on this side. Let's go for it. I love Obama. I love Obama. I love him, love him, love him, love him. He's awesome. I hate Hillary. I hate Hillary. I hate Hillary. Donald Trump for president. You're fired. Nuke him. We getting any sparks going? Got any fires going? Ha, I'm starting to feel it. You feeling it? Come on, you feeling it? Some of you people, this, this lady here is getting a little riled up. Just simmer down. Simmer down. Immigration. We need to keep those people out. Wait, that's my family you're talking about. Gun, gun control. That's what we need is to get rid of the guns, lock them up. You'll get my gun when you pry my cold dead fingers off the barrel. Any sparks going? I'm sick of gay rights. I'm sick of gays not having rights. We need to put prayer back in school, doggone it. We need to fly the Confederate flag. We need to legalize marijuana. I say, let's do all three. Let's fly the flag over the schools and smoke pot. You know, let's, <laughs> let's just do it all. Black lives matter. Uh, white lives, all lives matter. Lives matter. Matter matters. Get a bucket. See, you need to calm down and put these right here. You, don't sass back to me like that, lady. Ah, yeah, yeah, anyway. Hey, there's fires everywhere, right? Now, there is a puddle under this guy. I don't know why. Fires everywhere. You have relationships where there's little embers that have been brewing for years. Sometimes there's big, heated, big, already torrential, you know, just huge fires around these issues. Some of them are personal. Some of them are big. But friends, here's what, here's what we have to just come to grips with. It really matters 
which bucket you use. It really matters. Some people think it doesn't matter. Some of us figured out at an early age the red bucket gets attention. It gets things done. We, we decided it was better to have some attention than no attention. And we feel like the red bucket's the way we're going to get through life. And the problem is when you use the red bucket, it destroys things. It hurts people. It makes a bad situation worse. And the worst part is you miss out on the blessed life that Jesus invites you to which is what it is to be a child of God. To sit in daddy's arms and have the blessing. But you can't, you can't throw around the red bucket acting like a child of the devil, working for destruction of the planet and people, and expect to receive the blessing and the blessed life of the blue bucket child of God. It really matters which bucket you use. Because which bucket you use exerts a force in the world. It may not seem like a big deal when you're just arguing with your kid or snapping back or giving a zinger in a conversation or when you post that Facebook post. It may not seem like a big deal, but you're exerting and releasing a force into the world. An energy, it's either blessing or curse. It's either light or darkness. It's either lifting or pressing. It's either part of the destruction of the planet and the relationships with God and other people or part of the reconciling of all things back to God and one another, which is called shalom. And a child of God is invited to the blessed life, which is about peacemaking. So let me ask you a really important question that I hope you don't leave until you answer before God. Here's the question. In what conflict would you say God is calling you right now to be a peacemaker? What, what arena, what relationship, what area, what topic, what person, what place is it where there's a fire and you can sense and feel and understand the nudge of God in these moments in this crazy eight teaching saying you need to be a blue bucket psst, peacemaker person in that situation or that need. What is it? For some it's probably having to do with our families. It might be a brother or a sister where we're part of the problem rather than the solution. And just a few changes would dramatically, dramatically change things. Or it might be some other kind of fire of civil war in your family where brother-in-law or sister or wider extended family. Maybe it's at work with a colleague or a prickly person or a jerk of a boss. Maybe you're the jerk of a boss. Maybe it's an environment that you really can't do much about, but you've got two buckets. Maybe it's your marriage. And maybe it's because of past damage or trust broken or you're drifting apart like boats on a lake or maybe you're just coming together and sparks always fly. And you can't change them, but you do have two buckets. You know, an area that I think I'd like to kind of invite you to consider, where we need to think about which bucket we're bringing to the table, is in the way we talk online. How many of you have ever felt like the way Christians sometimes converse in social media is embarrassing? Am I the only one? Can I just encourage us to be careful and wise and thoughtful? And if you wouldn't say it to someone's face, don't say it online. Sometimes we get the red bucket out when we hide behind the safety of the keyboard or when we're emotional or when we're angry. Rarely does anything good come out of that. If we are going to say something that doesn't reflect well on the name of Jesus or on ourselves or 
when we throw people under the bus or, you know, whatever. These things, we have to have more civility. Civility means you learn to listen rather than label. When I label you, I'm done with you. I can just call you whatever I want, a liberal or an idiot or whatever, and I'm done with you. That's not the way of love. We have to learn to speak as if someone who disagrees with us might be actually intelligent instead of assuming that anyone who disagrees with you at the moment is an idiot. These are the ways of Christ. Respectful. Strong disagreement? Sure. Respectful. Humility. Hold your positions loosely. And unity. All things love. Some of us are so easily offended. Can I give a little advice to some of you who are easily offended? I'll warn you in advance, it'll probably offend you. (laughs) You'll get over it. Here's my advice. When you find yourself kind of being offended at something, my advice is, will you just get over yourself already for crying out loud? I mean, seriously, you know being offended is most of the time a form of pride. There I said it. I'm not trying to pour a red bucket on your offense. I'm trying to help us all see that when we say, well, don't they know? Or, you know, well, I feel like I'm appointed to. So they're, they're attacking my country. They're attacking my, my family. They're attacking my whatever. And we rise up like that. Look at, look at the example we have of the peacemaker Jesus and how he responded when people attacked him. And then just kind of go off of that a little bit. Christians get offended because people who don't follow God don't act like, they act like people who don't follow God. And we get all offended. Jesus didn't send us to be offended by people far from God, but to love them. Remember? And the best way to do that is by bringing the blue bucket, not by telling them how far from God they are. So maybe we ought to think about some of that. Seems like with the election cycle coming up, it might be a good time to remind ourselves that if we're going to be peacemakers, it's not just about sort of voting for some policy. You hope some politician passes somewhere. It starts with the living room you live in and the buckets you bring to Facebook. Can I, can I challenge us to another area that I believe God is calling all of us to care about, and that is to, is to say, as we bring buckets to the area of racial reconciliation, can we follow the lead of God and be, be blue bucket people in the area of race reconciliation? Could we just be that crazy that we could be those kind of people in this place? You know, 1914, a strange truce happened right in the middle of World War I around Christmas Day. They heard something in the trenches, those soldiers did, right on the front lines. And it wasn't mortars or gunshots. You know what it was? Singing. Uh, Christmas Eve, some of the British and German troops put their guns down and they reflected on what it meant that God sent His Son uh, into this world, the Prince of Peace, and they said, you know what, it's going to make a difference to us, and they began to sing Christmas carols to each other. German soldiers went first. They emerged from their trenches and they approached the Allied lines in that middle area called No Man's Land. They just walked right out there and they called out Merry Christmas in their enemies' native tongues. Think about that. And, of course, at first the Allied soldiers thought it was a trick. But then they saw the Germans were unarmed. And they climbed out of their trenches and they shook hands with the enemy soldiers and they traded cigarettes and pudding and sang carols together. And they had Christmas and a game of soccer broke out as this picture depicts. Imagine. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be one of those soldiers? One minute you're shooting, the next minute it's Christmas and you're thinking about Jesus and you're shaking hands and playing soccer. Right there in the middle of the war, peace broke out. Friends, I think that's what we need to have happen. 
more places, don't you? That that no man's land, that someone would step into the middle unarmed and extend a hand and bring some peace in the middle of this conflict-ridden place we live in, Baltimore City, Hartford County, and everywhere else we come from. And this issue of race, it's a big one. I can't believe I'm where I am in my life at this age and we're still having the same old stuff. I think God must be tired of it too. Can we let the fact that Jesus has come, the Prince of Peace, lead us to stop fighting for a bit and come out of our entrenched positions, put down our weapons and sing a new song that the world needs to hear? God's people are the ones called to do that. The ones who are called children of God. They can do it because we're the peacemakers in the midst. So yes, it's complex. Yes, there's generations of offense. Yes, there's issues and all of this stuff and hurt and privilege and anger and I get all that. But it starts with someone somewhere putting down the red bucket and acting like a child of God. Is it going to be you or not? I preached, I preached in Ferguson, Missouri this summer. And I said to them, I said, I can't pretend to know all you've been through, but I tell you, I'm coming from Baltimore and we know something of the pain of your city. Sitting on the second row is a mixed-race couple, black man, a white woman. Tears in their eyes as I spoke. Friends, sometimes the blue bucket is filled with tears because peace always comes at the cost of sacrifice. Think of how Jesus brought it. Great cost. Huge sacrifice. His death is what makes us at peace with God. And if you want to bring a blue bucket, it may be filled with your own tears of sacrifice as well. It may mean you'll have to say, I'm sorry. It may mean you'll have to sort of give up your right to be right. It may mean you'll have to sort of step away from the family way that Daddy always did it. It's going to cost you something. But until we do that, until we fill our buckets, maybe with tears, I don't know, until one person raises their voice and starts to sing a new song, we're just going to miss the coming of Jesus at Christmas. So when the jokes fly and the racial slurs go, will you lift your voice and sing that new song? When you're the one who feels threatened to be offended or whatever, will you be a bridge builder? Build the bridge. Instead of racism, as our friend David Anderson says, which divides by color, class, and creed, can we go for gracism instead, which is Jesus' way? Instead of racism, gracism? Instead of wanting to pontificate about what I think I know about someone else, maybe I just need to start to get educated about someone else. Because there's too much division and pain and fires around this issue. And God's peace might just prevail if a bunch of us oddball, crazy eight people could just say, this is a place in the midst of this war-torn world where, you know what, in this community and wherever we go, you know what, we believe love is stronger than hate. We believe love is stronger than ignorance. We believe the love of Christ can pull together anything that's divided under any group and we're just so odd that we believe that... Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in God's sight, and that means they're precious in our sight too, and doggone it, we're going to live like that. So it's fine to march, go march, but it starts with just relationships. It starts with some white folk being friends with black folk. It starts with being friends with someone who's not like you. Gay people starting to listen to and talk to some straights, and the other way around, straight people listening to and being friends with someone who's gay. It starts with someone, you know, getting to know someone who's Muslim. It starts, to, it starts to, you know, when old people and young people and rich people and poor people start crossing lines and building bridges and living in gracism. Friends, we've got a hundred reasons why we can just pick up our weapons and shoot. But in the name of Jesus Christ, you can show love. And that's what it looks like. And you will live the blessed life 
and the world will be different. So, all of this, all of this comes from Jesus. You know that, right? It's all about Jesus. He's the, he's the source of our peace. He's the fountain of peace. He's the one who fills our bucket. And the early disciples, they knew that best. Because they were just walking along, you know, and they, their lives were all messed up, just like ours, you know. And then they saw Jesus, and it just, he changed everything about it. They, they watched the impact he had as he shalomed people everywhere he went. And there was that guy who was all messed up with demons. He was all tormented. His life was out of control. Some of us know what that's like. But after he met Jesus, he was clothed in his right mind. He was on a path again. He's like, ha this is awesome. He got shalomed. They saw that. They, saw, they were with Jesus in the boat when the storm was like going crazy and they thought they were going to die and they couldn't bail fast enough. And Jesus stood up and said to the wind and waves, shut up, sit down, be still, have peace. And it wasn't just the lake that calmed down. They did because they saw Jesus and what he could do. And the woman whose blood just flowed out of her body for 12 years couldn't stop at a bad hemorrhage. She was spiritually and physically drained. And some of us know what that's like. And Jesus, when she touched the hem of his garment, power went out of him and she went away in peace. He says, woman, go away in peace. Your faith has made you well. And the woman who was ashamed and sinful and messed up, some of us know what that's like. Jesus healed her and forgave her and said, go in peace peace they saw this they saw this over and over and they experienced themselves and then Jesus died and they were just scared to death and sitting in an upper room just wringing their hands and holding their heads what's ever going to happen and do you know this story John chapter 20 verse 21 the living Jesus the resurrected Jesus showed up right in the room he comes right up to them like you can imagine him coming up to you now you know what he told them they're all worried and afraid is there peace for us? Is there peace for us? Is there peace for us? And he just said, peace. Peace be to you. And he said it again, peace be to you. And then the Bible says he breathed on them. They could see him and feel him as a way of giving himself to them, his Holy Spirit, so they could receive peace so that they could go out and be peacemakers. I bet some of us need to get close enough to Jesus right now to feel His breath on our face and to receive His peace in our lives. I invite you to do that right now. To hear Him say over you, peace be to you, peace. Because you can't bring what you don't have. And this ultimately isn't a little lesson on conflict resolution at work. This is about changing everything. Changing who we are and changing the world so the kingdom can come through these crazy eight principles. It starts with you and me and which bucket we use. And so, let us pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace. God, hear our prayer. Forgive us for all of the red buckets we've thrown. Fill us with peace so we might be peacemakers. And all God's people said, Amen.